sorry, I'm going to put this down here. Um, everybody, if you'd like to turn your Bibles to John 8. John 8 is where we're going to be today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is JJ, or my real name is Jeremy, but I go by JJ. I don't want to confuse anybody. Jeremy spoke last week, but if you ever get a Facebook in- friend invite from a Jeremy James, that's me. All right, Jeremy James Waltho. I go by JJ. Call me whatever you want. I'll probably answer you whatever you call me, right? I am one of the pastoral assistants here at Calvary. And uh, a couple of the tasks that I have here is I get to help in Good News Club, which uh, reaches out to a middle school or an elementary school in the area where I get to teach kids about the gospel and about Jesus. I get to teach the middle schoolers uh, most Sunday nights, which is a really big blessing. I love getting, uh, love being involved with the middle schoolers, even though they are, uh, they're a lot, well, not even though, but they are a lot less intimidating than you guys are. They're really easy to teach. They think I'm hilarious. I'm not that funny, but middle schoolers are a lot easier to make laugh. Um, but I'm not going to stand up here and try and make you laugh. I'm not very good at that. I've learned, learned from that mistake a couple times in the past, so I won't be up here cracking too many jokes, hopefully. Um, and I also have the opportunity to lead the young adult ministry, which is something that I also really, really enjoy. The uh, young professionals, as we were once known, but now we're called the young adults. So again, if there's any confusion, we're now the young adults. We rebranded. It's new. All right. But the young adults... And I love getting to be in ministry, and I love getting to bring God's word to people. And so I'm so excited to have that opportunity, opportunity to share God's word with you all this morning. Uh, and I trust that it will be uplifting and challenging as God's word always is. As I said before, we will be in John 8, but before I read the passage, I want to tell a story, and then I want to set set up the stage for uh, the passage we're going to be reading. So I'm going to tell you a true story, and then I'm going to set up the stage for John 8, this passage that we're reading. So uh, first, the story. In August of 1973, a man by the name of Jan Eric Olson walked into a bank and tried to rob it. He was unable to escape, and through a series of events, he ended up taking hostages into one of the vaults. And uh, throughout this uh, process, he negotiated for the release of his friend from prison, and he had that that friend brought over to him in the vault. And over the course of five days or so, there was a standoff between him and the police where he held four hostages uh, down in the vault. But one of the most interesting things, one of the most interesting developments uh, of this uh, whole situation was the trust that the hostages developed for their captors. Throughout this uh, happening, a couple of times they allowed like the chief of police to come in and the chief of police noted that these hostages were friendly with their captors. They were friendly with the people who had, who was, with the two guys who were holding them uh, in prison in this vault, but they were hostile towards the police chief, the, the, the chief who was trying to get them out of this situation. All right, And so when all was said and done, when those five days ended uh, and the capture of the bank robbers happened and the hostages were released, everyone made it out safe and sound, the, this strange phenomenon continued. The hostages actually defended the bank robbers. The hostages went so far as to say that the bank robbers treated them well. They, said they, they refused to testify in the court cases. They said, we don't want to testify. We don't think that they should be tried for holding us hostage, for trying to rob the bank. They, they even, some of them, developed lasting friendships 
with the people, with their captors, with the people who had held them prisoner. One guy said, I'm thankful, I'm just thankful uh, that when he threatened to shoot me, he threatened to shoot me in the leg. That's interesting, I guess, right? Like, yeah, that's something to be thankful for in, in an odd way, right? But they had grown this attachment to the people who had put their very lives in danger, the people who, uh, how, who had held them captive. And a couple months after this whole thing ended, psychologists or psychiatrists actually uh, coined this, and, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with this term, uh, the Stockholm Syndrome. Right? It's this idea that people who fall in love or sympathize with uh, the people who held them captive or who were abusive to them or, or some way or, or something like that. Right? But these, these captives had become blind to the fact that the, these, the, the bank robbers did not have their best interests at heart. They had become blind to the fact that those bank robbers were not doing it out of the kindness of their hearts for these captives, right? They didn't walk in and, and one of the guys, when, when he held it, he, he shot a gun up in the air. He didn't do that out of his love for the people he was going to hold in a vault for five days, right? He didn't do this out of some sort of care and out of love, but these captives had, had this weird and twisted idea that that, that this was his, that this was their uh, ulterior motive, that they were actually really good guys and that they were actually loving or, or kind or whatever. But when you look at their actions, that, that wasn't at all who they were. And in this conversation that we're going to be talking about for the next few minutes, we actually see something very similar. We, uh, we're going to be seeing this conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees uh, Again, as, as we've been talking through the conversations with Jesus, specifically over the last couple weeks, we've been in this uh, saga of the Feast of Booths. Again, a T-H, Booths, all right? The Feast of Booths. And uh, last week, Jeremy talked about a conversation that Jesus had with the crowd, and he talked about the Holy Spirit and, and, the, and the rivers of living water, Right? And then two weeks ago, uh, Robert talked about uh, the, the adulterous woman and all of that. And that's right here in this passage, or in this, in this section of, of John. And, but the rest of chapter 8 is another conversation that Jesus has with a group called the Pharisees. Now, for those of you who uh, may know this, and, and for those of you who don't, this, is, uh, this will be new information. And for those of you who do, this will be a recap. But the Pharisees were the religious leaders in Israel. They were the, the people who were the standard. They were the keepers of the law. They were, you know, the best of the best. Uh, they were the leading group of religious leaders. They knew the Torah or the Old Testament better than anybody. They, they knew the signs. They, they were supposed to be, again, just the best of the best. But today we see in this conversation that Jesus has with the Pharisees that they weren't really the best of the best. In fact, we see that they are so blinded by what holds them captive. They, they were so blinded and, and, and held under that they had actually uh, were willing to ignore the person who was trying to set them free. So as we go into reading this, this uh, passage, I want you guys to be thinking about that. And it's, it's a long passage. We're going to read it all at once. And uh, we're going to have to kind of go, go over the whole thing as a whole rather than verse by verse because it's 
40 some odd verses and we don't have time to do that. So I'm gonna pray before we we read and then we're gonna be reading verses 12 through 59. So let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that we can come together as a church to sing your praises, to sing your glory, to sing about your redemption, that we are cloaked in your righteousness. Thank you that we can only imagine what it's going to be like with you for all of eternity. God, I pray that as we open the word together that you would call my heart and my mind and that you would give me the words to say and that you would give uh, all of us ears to hear and hearts to obey and to change and that we would walk out challenged to look more like your son, to look more like Jesus, to love you more. And I pray these things in your name, amen. Again, John chapter eight, verses 12 through 59. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I declare to the world that I, what I have heard from him, or I'm sorry, I skipped a whole verse there. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand what he had been speaking to them, that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my my word finds no place in you. 
I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did, they said to him. You, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came, to, came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. If my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not, uh, but you have not known him, I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the, out of the temple. What a passage. It's a long read. It's a long conversation. Uh, but in order to examine this as a whole, I think it's important that we, re that we uh, have read it together as a whole. But as we look through this passage, we're going to examine three truths that we learn in this passage. All right, three truths that we learn, and they're going to all tie together into one thought. So three truths that tie together into one thought. And the first is that Jesus was not afraid to tell hard truths. It's all over this passage. And one of the first ways you see that is when Jesus tells the Pharisees, I am going away, you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. And the, and the Pharisees took the opportunity to kind of get this, uh, you know, evil joke in. He's, and they, they say, you're going to kill yourself? What are you going to do? Kill yourself? And, and the Jews in, in, at the time believed that there was a special place in hell for people who killed themselves. So what they were saying here is, well, 
we're headed upward, so you must be on your way to hell. Because we're the Pharisees. We're, we're the best of the best, right? But we, we, we're headed upward, so that must mean you're going downward. If, if you're going somewhere we can't follow, that must be it. But they had their orientation all wrong. They had their orientation all wrong. Jesus told the Pharisees that he was from above, that he was headed upward, and they were not. Can you imagine the looks on their faces? Can you imagine uh, the looks on the Pharisees, like the thoughts that are running through their, their mind? They're the most religious people in all of Israel, right? They're, they're the keepers of the law. Surely, if there's a group headed to heaven, it's us. It's, it's, it's our group. It's the Pharisees. We're going to heaven. What? How can you even say that you're headed to heaven and we aren't? That you're from above and we're from below? How, how can you say that? We're the most religious group here. Surely, if there's a group headed to heaven, it's us. But Jesus enlightened them to the truth. They weren't headed to heaven. It's just as Jesus claimed earlier at, at the start of this passage that he was the light of the world. And what does light do? It exposes what's in the darkness. As Jeremy put it last week, what, he, he said it this way, what do we hate about the light? What do we hate about the light? It reveals our sin. It reveals to us that we are not God's holiness incarnate. We are not living up to the right standard. We are not living up to the glory of God. These Pharisees thought they were living up to the standard. They thought they were the standard. They saw themselves as the standard. But Jesus shed light on their hearts. And he told, you, told them, you aren't the standard. You, you aren't even headed to heaven with the way that, that, with where you're at right now. You don't love God. If you loved God, you would listen to me because I'm from God. And, and for whatever reason, they, they couldn't wrap their minds around this. And then he continues to tell them, he says, if, if you were of God, you would listen and obey the truth just as Abraham did. Oh, you're children of Abraham? Yeah, sure, you're descendants of Abraham, Physically, like, yeah, if you go up your lineage somewhere along the line, you will get uh, Abraham as your great, 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 great grandfather or whatever, you know, however many greats are in there, right? Sure, you, you could trace your lineage back to Abraham, but spiritually, you aren't children of Abraham and you're definitely not children of God with the way you are right now. And Jesus tells them and even reveals the truth of their hearts. He tells them that they're liars and murderers. He called them out on the very things that they were plotting to do to Jesus, to murder him. And he told them the, the devil is the father of lies and murders. The devil is the father of, of liars and murderers. And so if there's a group of people who are lying and who are planning to murder and not listening to truth, who would you say their father is, right? Is, is, it, is their father the one who is truthful, who loves, who isn't a murderer, or is their father the one who lies and murders? The option is, you know, it's pretty obvious, right? So Jesus is telling them, you're, you're the children of the devil. You're liars and murderers. And he, uh, and it sounds really harsh, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And remember, Jesus didn't do this out of judgment. 
He didn't do this even out of condemnation. Rob talked about this two weeks ago when he talked about the adulterous woman. He, he talked about this conversation he had with her. He told her that he came not to condemn. And he even said earlier in this conversation, he says, I am not here to judge. And what does that tell us about the truth? What does that tell us about the truth? Because in today's culture, you can't tell someone they shouldn't do something without them taking it like it's judgmental, right? You can't tell someone that uh, they're, they're, they're wrong because somehow it's not loving to tell someone that, it, that they're wrong. In today's culture, you can't tell someone that they're headed to hell without sounding like a bigot or like a holier-than-thou type of person or whatever because that's how so many people take that. But in reality, Jesus is showing us something really amazing that the truth, truth is not inherently judgmental. Can we as people make it judgmental? Sure. Like, do we have that ability? We can twist it, right? Like, yes, absolutely. But in reality, the truth itself is not judgmental. It's just an objective fact. It's just, it's truth. And so he's telling them the truth. He's showing them the light. If there was a person you knew and loved that was blindfolded, let's say you're, I don't know, you're having a party on, at a cliffside with a pinata, I, I don't know, whatever you are doing over by a cliff, and they, they're wearing a blindfold, they're blind, they can't see anything, and they start walking towards the cliff, right? They, they don't know where they're going. They're headed straight for certain death, for doom. What are you going to do as a person who loves them? Are you going to stay silent because you, you say, well, I don't want that to sound judgmental. You know, I don't, don't want them to think that I'm pushing my belief on them. You know, uh, oh, it, it wouldn't be very loving to, to stop them from heading towards that cliff, right? No, of course not. If you love that person, you would tell them the truth. You would tell them, stop. You are headed towards death, towards certain doom. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's not telling them they're children of the devil. They're, he's not telling them that slave, that, that those who sin are held captive uh, by their sin, right? He's not telling them these things because he wants them to feel bad about themselves or because he's got some uh, superiority complex or something like that. He's telling this to them because he actually loves them, because he cares about them. He cares that they are headed towards a cliff from whence they can't return. And this conversation and, and this truth reveals a second truth that, that Jesus uh, talks about and, and enlightens us to, and it's that sin blinds and enslaves all who commit it. Sin blinds and enslaves all who commit it. Whoever practices sin is a slave to it. This is the truth that Jesus is trying to get across to everyone he speaks to and in every conversation he has, that sin is their captor. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. Again, you look at the Pharisees. You look how enslaved to their own sin that they had become. They, again, you look, they're the most learned people of all of Israel. If there was a group that should have recognized the Messiah, it was the Pharisees. They knew the prophets they knew the first five books of the Bible. They knew what the Old Testament had to say about the coming Messiah. They had studied it their whole lives. And yet when that Messiah, 
was standing right in front of them, they couldn't recognize him. They couldn't see the truth. They, they claimed that they were looking for this very person who was standing in front of them. And yet when he stood in front of them, telling them exactly who he was, they, they rejected it. They said, you can't be him. Even though they knew the truth of who the Messiah was going to be, they ignored the fact that, that what was making them blind, that, that, or they ignored the fact that Jesus was making the blind to see and the lame to walk. He told the Pharisees that he was the light of the world. And they said, you have no witness, so you're a liar. Jesus told them the father was his witness. He told them the father was his witness and they ignored him. Jesus told them that he was sent by the father in union with his will. And they still said, who are you? Jesus called them out on the sins of their hearts, that they were liars and murderers. And you can see how blind they are, even in verse 33, when they say, we've never been enslaved to anyone. Ignore the obvious, you know, the obvious examples of uh, the Babylonians or the Assyrians or the Persians, all from the Old Testament that they were well familiar with, right? The very feast that they were celebrating, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, maybe that's what I'm gonna say from now on, the Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration of God leading Israel through the wilderness, all right? So if you are familiar with the Old Testament at all, the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, had been enslaved to Egypt for some 400 years, right? So they'd been enslaved. So the very celebration that they were, that they were partaking in at that moment was a celebration of God leading them from freedom, from captivity, and they were still willing to stand in front of Jesus and say, we've never been captive to anybody. Think about the irony in that. They were so self-deluded that they couldn't admit even that truth. And Jesus called them on the very intent of their hearts to murder him. He, a fact that they all knew to be true, and their response was to call him a Samaritan, which is basically a fancy way of, of bashing him and calling him a heretic right? That's a fancy way of calling him a, a, a really just awful slur, saying you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed, right? That's like the one-two punch. Like you want to discredit someone, it's call him a Samaritan and demon-possessed, and that's what they were doing here. He, he exposed the intents of their heart, and they said, you must be demon-possessed because, you know, you're, you're crazy, and that was their response, Right? Think about how insane that is. They were so enslaved to their own religiousness, their own morality, that they couldn't see or hear the truth that Jesus was proclaiming to them. They had become infatuated with the very sin that had enslaved them. They had, uh, and, and the same is true of what the world says today about sin. It tells you, you're not enslaved. You're free to do what you want. You want to live a moral life? Do it, good awesome. Go for it. You want to live an immoral life? Sure. That's your prerogative. We don't care. You want to be kind of religious? Yeah. All religions lead to heaven, right? You do more good than bad? Oh, that cancels it out, so you're fine. That's what the world is telling us today, and that's what the world has, has been telling us for years and years and years. And, and it continues to be a, a, a message that is proclaimed. You know, you're for sure getting through the pearly gates. 
You're headed to heaven. You're a good person. Yeah, you're good. All while distracting its captives from the truth that those who are captive, those who commit sin are captive to it. They are not free. Freedom comes from the truth. And the final third truth that Jesus reveals in this passage and uh, arguably the most important one uh, is encapsulated in the last uh, thing he says in this uh, recount of his conversation. And, And this is what he says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And this is the great, the greatest truth is that Jesus is God. He is the great I am. He is the Holy One. He is uh, one with the Father and the Spirit. And he reveals this claim in multiple ways. He reveals it when he says that he's the light of the world. All right? He reveals it when he claims the Father as his witness. He reveals it when he says that I am he. And when he says that abiding in the truth sets them free, when he says that he came from God, and finally when he says, before Abraham, I am. And there are people out there who want to claim that Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus never claimed to be, to be uh, God himself. He never said that. It's right here, stated obviously for everyone to hear. And the Jews didn't mistake it. The people that were hearing him say, I am, immediately picked up stones to stone him with because they understood that when someone was calling themselves I am, they were saying, I am God. That was what he was claiming here. And to claim that, to claim to be God was of the highest blasphemy, right? To claim to be God was, was one of the worst things you could do. And that was why they went to stone him immediately. But it wasn't blasphemy because he was telling the truth. He was claiming to be who he was. He was saying, uh, when he said, if I uh, pretended not to know the Father, I would be a liar like you. So he was telling them the truth. I am one with God. I am God. That is the truth. And they rejected it. And you see this throughout all of his life, not even just in his statements. You see it in his f- fulfillment of prophecies. You see it in, uh, in the way he lived his life. You see it in, in his works, in his speech, in the ways he interacted with people. You see it through his whole character that he is the Messiah, the only one who has the power to live the perfect life that he lived, the only one who could die on the cross for our sins, the only one who could wash away the sins of those who put their faith and trust in him, the only one with the power to save, the only one who has the power to free us from the captivity of sin, the only one is God. So Jesus is God. And with that comes the authority to proclaim the other truths that he has proclaimed in this, in this passage. With that is, it comes the authority that he can tell the Pharisees the hard truths. With that, he has the authority to reveal the very wickedness of their hearts. With that, he has the authority to proclaim that those who commit sin are captive to it. He has the authority to say that and be truthful and honest. So these three truths build build into one thought. One thought, and it's a very, very simple thought. You are either free or you are bound. 
Every person in this room fits into one of those two categories. You are either free in the truth, you're either free in Jesus, or you are bound in sin. You are a slave to sin. You're you're one of those two people. There's no halfway ground. There's no middle ground. You are either free or you are captive. So if you fit into the former group, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you are free, awesome, amazing. You are spiritually free. But here's my challenge for you. Here's my challenge for uh, the church at large. Even as freed people, sometimes we get a little bit of the case of the Stockholm Syndrome with the very sin that we've been freed from. Maybe we don't love it the way we used to. Maybe we, we, we don't care for it the way we used to, but we still want to be friends with it. I recently saw this clip of a pastor uh, talking to his church. He was sharing with his church before, his, um, uh, before the staff put on an Easter play. He was sharing a conversation with them that he had had with his staff before, uh, before this uh, Easter Sunday. And he told the congregation that, he told his staff that during this play, we're going to go out on the edge. And the staff said, how far out on the edge? And he answered them, we're going to go and do everything just short of sin. Wow. Can you imagine if one of the pastors got up here and said, we're just going to go out and and the way we do things is we're going to do everything just short of sin. Just short, right? Like if this is the line, we're going to be right here. Right? We're going to just get as close to that sin line as we can. Of course not. That's crazy. If I, if I got up here and told you that, I would lose my job. I wouldn't make it the next 24 hours. I would, the staff meeting would be moved up from Tuesday to Monday morning, 8 a.m. I'd have to get up earlier than normal. And they'd say, JJ, out. Right? If I got up here and said, we're going to do everything just short of sin. That's That's crazy. And yet, because the Bible tells us that we're told to fight against and resist sin, even flee from it in some cases. And while we can't imagine one of the pastors getting up here and saying that, how often does your own life reflect that thought? How often does your life reflect, how close can I get to committing sin without actually committing it? How, how can I be friends with this thing that, that wanted to enslave me, that had me captive, not, wanted, not just wanted to, but actually held me captive, that had enslaved me, right? How often in our own lives do we play around and get as close to and mess around with sin despite knowing what sin does to us, what sin wants to continue to do to us, and even what sin did to Jesus on the cross? How often do we want to play around with those lines? You are free from sexual immorality, but you keep watching that TV show that tempts you. You're free from jealousy, and yet you sit at home comparing your life to others. You're free from gossip, and yet you still go home and you talk bad about your coworkers or your friends or your family. You're free from all of those things, but how close do you get to those things? How much do you let those things be a part of your life on a regular basis? You're supposed to be free, free from those things, and yet we mess around with it. You don't need to go back to your cell. You're totally and completely free. 
Many Christians wonder why they continue to mess up and they continue to, uh, continue to mess up and, and to walk away from God and, and to sin and to mess up and do these things that, that displease God, even though they're, they're supposed to be free from it. And yet they put themselves into situations and positions that put them within an arm's reach of that sin. Maybe right now, some of you feel like that sin is overpowering you. Maybe sometimes you feel like right now, I don't, I'm not intentionally putting myself within arm's reach, but it just seems to come to me. It seems to approach me wherever I go, whatever I'm doing. Maybe some of you feel like you can't escape it, that you feel that you are back under the weight of that sin, the weight of captivity, the weight of those chains. Let me encourage you this way. You are not made free so that you can go back under those chains. You are not made free so that you can live a life putting yourself back into captivity. You were made free from that completely. You were given an escape. You were shown the truth. You have believed the truth, and now you must abide in the truth. Freedom means that you're free from the search for hope in the things of the world because you have found the truth that is eternal, that is lasting. You don't need to go back to your cell because you're free Because justice has been rendered when Jesus covered your sins with his righteousness. You're free to rise above sin. You're free to please God. You're free to live a holy life. You no longer have to question your place in the universe because you are an heir with Jesus. He says it right here in this passage. It says that you you are made a child of God. It says in Romans 8, 17, rather, that that you have an inheritance with Jesus. You are now part of the family of God. You are free from captivity. You are no longer a slave, but you are a son or a daughter of God Almighty. I hope that encourages you today. I hope that lets you go forward thinking, I don't have to live my life in sin. I don't have to keep going back to that which once held me because Jesus has made you free. Jesus has made you free. I would encourage you all as believers, the believers in this room, to examine your hearts. Examine your life. Someone who has God as their father should not look like they have the devil as their father. I would encourage you to examine your hearts and your minds and root, all, root out all vestiges of sin. Do not get as close to sin as you possibly can. Resist it. Fight it. Flee from it if you need to. Do not mess around with that which wants to captivate you, which that, that which once held you slave, bound by it. Do not go on committing that which, God, which Jesus died for. Live like you are free. Believe you are free. Because if you believe the truth, and if you are a disciple of the truth, you are free indeed. For those of you who'd fit into the latter group, for those of you who don't know Jesus as their Savior, this is my encouragement to you. Maybe you right now are sitting there thinking that your life is really good. Maybe you're thinking things are really great. I, you know, I feel totally free in what I'm doing. I, I feel totally all right in, with my life right now. I, I want to warn you. I'm going to tell you a hard truth that that freedom, that feeling of freedom doesn't last forever. 
that feeling of freedom one day will come to an end because there will come a time where you will have to answer for that quote-unquote freedom that you feel right now. There will come a time where you stand before God, whether that's 10 days, 10 years, 50 years down the road, you're gonna have to stand before God and answer for your sins. And you are either going to say, I am free because Jesus set me free. Or you're gonna say, I am a captive of my sin. I want you to leave here realizing that you should not love your captor. You know, just as as those captives in that bank robbery ended up loving, you don't want to be like those people. Think about how foolish that sounds. Think about how foolish it sounds to love the very thing that puts your life in danger, the very thing that wants to end your life. I don't want you to leave here loving that. I want you to leave here with open eyes and open hearts and to accept Jesus into your heart because that brings true freedom. That brings true freedom. And maybe you're sitting here and you're saying that maybe you don't look at it that way and you say, I'm, I'm feeling the weight. I'm feeling the weight of my chains and it's too much. My bondage to my sin is inescapable. And in some ways, you're right. On your own, it is totally inescapable. Those chains that bind you, you can never get those off on your own. It's completely, you are completely helpless on your own. But Jesus has an amazing truth for you. And he says it in verse 31 and 32. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You're right. You can't escape on your own. But Jesus has provided an escape. He has provided a way for you to get out of your bondage. He has provided a way for you to be free. And it's all revealed in this passage. It's all revealed when he says that when he is lifted up, they will see, right? When he is lifted up on the cross, they will see. So I encourage you that if that's where you're at, where you are at right now, you want an escape, you want freedom from your sins, you want to be free of that weight, come to Jesus because he is here. We're about to sing a song, uh, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. He wants to break your chains. He wants to make you free. And if you let him, you can also, you will be free indeed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you so much for the truth of your word. We thank you for this conversation in which you uh, have shown to us that you have told us a hard truth that on our own we're slaves, that we're captives to sin, that we're blinded by our sin. God, but we thank you for the other truths. We thank you that you loved us, that even though you were God, you came to this earth, you lived a perfect life, you told us the truth, you died on the cross for our sins. God, I pray that there, if there are any in this room who still feel the weight of their sins, that you would work in their heart and their minds, that you would lift the veil, that they would uh, see the light and, and come to you so that they would also be free. And God, I pray for the believers in this room that they would resist sin, that they would live like they are truly free.